You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And yes, it is exciting and fun to be back here with all of you for another weekend. (laughs) It has been a crazy week. We got stuff to talk about, folks. And, and, and I'm actually really excited today. Because later on in the show, uh, I have author Elizabeth Geitz, who will be talking to us about spiritual truth in the age of fake news. And we hear the words tossed around by our jolly orange president. Fake news, fake news, fake news, you're fake news. Nasty, snarky faith. I mean, he calls everything fake news, whether it makes sense or not. But what makes sense? (laughs) Lysol? is the cure-all. That's what I hear. That's what I hear on the streets. But I wanted to start the show, and, and we are going to be talking about this today, kind of really centering around a lot about a lot of uh, fake news, uh, especially within Christianity right now, uh, which will lead us into our conversation with Elizabeth Geitz, which I guarantee you that you're going to love. I had a great time sitting down and talking with her, and she is a new uh, favorite of the show here. So that part is going to be fun. So to dovetail into that, um, how we're going to move directly into that conversation, um, I want to talk about a lot of the news and a lot of the craziness that is going on right now. And if you're like me, uh, living in most states of the United States or abroad as well too, because we do have international listeners, um, a lot of your life is at home. And recently, we've been seeing in the news more and more about people like almost small little private militia uh, type folks going and protesting with a lot of their guns and signs and not social distancing, wanting the states to open this up. And I have had interactions by interactions with uh, two different members of my extended family over the past eh, week, week and a half to keep things anonymous, but not uh, not to hide the identities so much that you don't understand what type of per- human I'm talking about. Uh, they are both of the red persuasion. One of them more based on his neck, and one based more on how he chooses to vote and what radio he listens to. So we have two folks that would not be on the same page as I would when it comes to worldview or being able to especially have a rational thought or conversation when it comes to the president of the coronavirus. Okay. Yeah. And having conversations with family is never fun. And especially when it's conversations you didn't really ask for or didn't really want. And so in conversations I've had, I'm just, I've, I've become more and more dumbfounded by people who see this whole thing, this whole sickness as A, a hoax, and B, believe that there is nefarious political gain to be had behind the scenes 
Um, these are people that believe firmly in President Trump, but also believe, though he's the president and has fired most of everyone else around him, uh, that there's still a deep state moving here. So this is some, it, it's, again, it's like Alex Jonesy. And kind of anytime you kind of sniff Alex Jones, you can really just control, alt, delete the whole thought and conversation. And then I was bringing this up and having a conversation with my son, who continues to be far smarter than I and challenging me in ways I need to be challenged. And I appreciate that. And I was mentioning this and we were like watching something on the news and, and I was getting to my normal mockery stage and he began to ask me questions about this. And, and I actually really, really appreciated his, his pushback and, and his pushback had really nothing to do with the MAGA hat protesters. Um, his was about the compassion element that was going on in the situation. I was like, oh, so you want me to show compassion for the MAGA hatters? You know that's physically impossible for me. It's, I can't do this, son. I just can't. Um, no. But what he was really pushing at was the way he was seeing this is that there's two really distinct crowds that are upset with things that are going on here. And while it is easy to mock the wide majority of those that are out there protesting because they're doing it for some sort of a, it's my right, it's my liberty, this is tyranny, this is blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it's just stupid and it's selfish. And it's continuing to show these people's stupidness, which is really most of my, um, where I was kind of orienting my vitriol around. But my son had also said, you have to remember too that some of those people are people that are just, they don't have anything. And they need to get back to work. And, and for me, too, and, and, I, and I've kind of been seeing how articles get very polarized in this, and for me, it was a good check. Um, and maybe this is just me uh, kind of doing my own mental devotions out loud, or maybe this speaks to you a bit. But, but one of the things that, that I've had to begin to then look at the news, and it's hard to look at the news, especially when Trump is involved, but it's hard to look at it like in, in, a, manner, in a manner where we have eyes like Jesus, eyes to see compassion, eyes to see that, that there are families that are really struggling. Uh, either because of health reasons or because they are furloughed or have been laid off of work, that they can't go out and work. And, and for those people, I can understand where they're at the point of going bankrupt and having nothing and being able to say, I would rather challenge this virus that leaps gives me a fighting chance than if I don't. So for me, that did give me a large check who tries to be a person that has compassion. Also is sarcastic and snarky. <laughs> Which is, again, a challenge just being myself. But, um, but I did, I did, I did. I really just appreciate my, the, the pushback my son had on that to where the, there, are, there are morons that are out there that do deserve our mockery for being out there. But there are people, though, that are out there that are, that are enraged and, and mad and upset and uh, hurting really just due to the fact that they are looking, they want to be able to take care of their own. And, and for me, I'll just admit that too. Like I, I am lucky that uh, my wife and I are both in situations where we were already people that were uh, independent contractors and telecommuters um, just by trade. So our, our life hasn't changed that much aside from having a house full of kids and needing to be homeschool parents uh, all at the same time. But, but this is, this is, this is, this is a very unique time for many of us. Um, it's a unique time that 
even though we are all getting stir crazy, that we are all tired of people being idiots. Uh, because for me, when I just see people out protesting, all it tells me is, oh, good. The rest of us are trying to flatten the curve so we can go back to normal. But then these yahoos are out there spreading stuff around. So that's great because it's just going to keep us where we're at effing longer. Great. Great. So even in the time of pandemic, nuance nuance is necessary and that we need to learn to be able to continue to be aware and compassionate towards people around us um, to be able to recognize that there are morons but there are people that are hurting and oftentimes the people that are hurting may not be doing it in protest they may be quiet they may be in their homes they may be doing this just struggling silently so i continue to challenge everyone here as i do the same is to try to be reaching out to our neighbors on a regular basis, reaching out to people that you know over social media um, and connecting with folks so people just aren't stuck and struggling alone. Because I think one of the most important things that we can hopefully do in this time and in, 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 a, in a country that is very, very polarized, um, but is to be able to just really lean in on our humanity and lean in on our grace and compassion when it's deserved. But at the same time, when people are being idiots, feel free to call them out. But, uh, but yes, but yes, lead with compassion and then let the snark wash over your mouth. That's kind of how I go at this. That's how I go at this. Um, because there is plenty of snark to go around. And, uh, and yes, because we're not even getting, we're not even getting to the Christian crazy. This is just legit news that is just... Mm. This is coming at us from the right wing watch um, uh, where they're reporting on the Liberty Council, LC.org, which has nothing to do with the other asshat that is involved with another institution named Liberty. But the Liberty Council is a religious right group, it's a religious right legal group that is launching a campaign calling on churches to open and believers to start meeting again on Sunday, May 3rd. That's right. This is like, this is a great Christian protest movement because we all need to, to be able, I don't really even know why. It doesn't, shouldn't surprise you that the Liberty Council is anti-LGBTQ and also anti-rational sense. They've also defended Rodney Howard Brown, uh, the, yes, the moron down in Tampa, Florida that was arrested for holding services. <laughs> so many morons that are continuing to hold services that are still called pastors. Yes. Um, so we have this, the churches fighting back, pushing to be reopened in the middle of a pandemic. If that doesn't scream American Christian ego, I don't know what does. Because we've been talking about this over the past couple of weeks anyways, just at the just general frustration that, that at least I've been seeing with churches and assuming that they are more important than everything else going on in the world. They're more important than people's health. They're more important than anything because somehow if we 
don't sing Jesus's name all together in a group of people, the magic ritual of resurrection will not happen and Jesus will eventually just be dead. And then eventually when we go back to the churches, nothing's going to happen. And then the whole witchcraft of Christianity will all be over. No more spells, no more nothing. And you're like, huh, what? Yeah. Because that's what I'm calling us. Really, really, really. The church exists. The church continues to exist. The church is the people of God. As long as people, hey, are still hopefully doing what Jesus told them to do in quarantine, helping your neighbor, reaching out, giving to the food pantries in our areas, being able to do the tangible work that Jesus will be doing right now, that kind of work, which is the work the church needs to be doing, not worrying about, when do we get back together so we can do sing-along? When, when, when? My pastor, oh my gosh, he's got like, he's got the biggest preaching blue balls I have ever seen. He needs to be back in the pulpit, back in the saddle doing what he does best. Otherwise, we're not Christians. I don't even know. If we don't have sing-along worship and we don't have our pastors, you know, waxing intelligentsia upon us on a Sunday, what is life anymore? I don't know. And seeing the fact, and seeing the fact that so many are trying to ramp up to get churches back open, or that many are protesting saying that they're like, their rights as citizens and their rights to be able to, that they're being infringed upon right now in the time of pandemic. How much more selfish can this be? Which is actually one of just the greatest, it's like the greatest theme and like motif to be able to show and like the state of the American church we're at right now. It's just damn selfish and it just cares about itself and money. <laughs> oh, we should all be repenting and wearing sackcloth and ashes at this realization, but it's not going to change and things are going to continue to move on. And and speaking about things continuing to move on, this, 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 this in the in the midst of pandemic is what begins to get me. So this comes from uh, last week. Um, this is from oh, Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham's telling a wonderful story about, mm, about the tornadoes that hit the South back near Easter Sunday. Tells this wonderful story. And let me... Let me see if you can do this on your own. I pretty much think you can. We're going to do a little bit of work here. Can you figure out where Franklin Graham completely misses every point that's to be had in his own story? I'll start with this story. When Gerald Wade, I can't do accents. When Gerald Wade uh, turned on the weather on Easter Sunday morning, he saw that a deadly twister one of many that struck across the South, was headed straight to his parents' so-so Mississippi home. I do. I, lo I, love the I love weather reports that tell me exactly where tornadoes are going. Okay, sorry. Um, he, texted, he texted them, and, then, and they immediately took cover in the bathroom. When Robert and Judy Wade emerged, they stepped out into the wholesale destruction. A massive tree lay against their house. The roof had collapsed into the kitchen, and the refrigerator had vanished. Amazingly, the pound cake Judy Wade had baked earlier that morning was sitting perfectly intact on the kitchen counter under a glass cover. Daryl said, I've seen his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he is always near. The Easter hymn 
has truly come to life. My parents were home during the storm. Their house was completely destroyed, but their lives and mama's pound cake were spared. Praise God. Praise God for mama's pound cake. I'm sorry, what? Uh, <laughs> what the hell is wrong with... Sorry, sorry. I sh- I'm not supposed to ask open rhetorical questions that I could use the rest of the show answering. What the hell is wrong with Franklin Graham? That's, I'll just leave it at that. Really, that's the story. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad these people weren't killed, but really, <laughs> screw them. As long as mama's pound cake is fine. That is the true miracle of Easter. God said... F your house, but I really like your pound cake. That is heavenly. And this is why we as Christians are just, have to, uh, we have all part and parcel become like these inert morons. And maybe not you, but a lot of us out there. There's times where I'm a moron too, but this, this is, takes the cake, the pound cake. Oh, mama. Ugh. And then, and then, you want to talk about morons. Why doesn't God stop the coronavirus? This is an article posted over on the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. (laughs) Because I also love, I love Christians applying meaning to things that don't need meaning. And and being able to throw spiritual significance on things that that it's just a thing. It's, it's like just like, oh, the tornado destroyed my house, but we have the pound cake. Okay, that's just weird, but maybe God hates refrigerators? I mean, there's, you know, so it, it, the weird way we kind of tilt the spotlight or the, put the microscope right down on them are just odd, are just odd. And, and, and in, this, in this article, which again is odd about trying to make arguments why would God allow coronavirus? Well, essentially, it all boils down to this. Not going to surprise you. Ultimately, God created a world in which love could exist. But since love is an ability, sin is also a possibility. God promised consequences for sin, but God offers his son as a sacrifice to pay for sin. Oh, will Jesus take away COVID? When I'm dead, he will. <laughs> You're right. Jesus does it all. Yay. I just need to die. Um, salvation is not the answer to every question in life. There have been other pandemics. And they are not because God allowed them or didn't allow them. They are because people get sick. There are flus, there are pandemics, there are plagues. Stuff happens, and that's part of life. People get cancer. It doesn't have a meaning behind it. God was teaching me with my cancer. No, no. What? What kind of God would... I, I want to teach her a lesson, so let me give her something that mm, 50-50 may kill her. <laughs> I'm just an all-knowing God. We'll see. Flip the dice.
<laughs> rather roll the dice, flip the coin. I, you know what I'm getting at here. But we, we ascribe we ascribe meaning to these situations. And it doesn't mean that we can't learn stuff through situations that we're put through, that trials don't teach us, that hard times don't teach us things. Oh, of course they do. Oh, of course they do. And, and when crap is happening, can we learn more about God through it? Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely, absolutely. But I just think that when we have to ascribe meaning towards everything, and somehow, like, it's either all, like, Satan's moving here on the chessboard, or God's moving here. Go, God, go. Oh, no, Satan. Oh, but God's more powerful. He's a better chess player. And we, we have to ascribe meaning to all this stuff besides the fact that this is the way the universe works. Sun rotates. I mean, sorry, sun rotates around the earth. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. This is my show where I'm a flat earther. Sorry. The earth the earth orbits around the sun. We know this. We know all of these kind of things that are fixed, that happen, that are part of life. And sickness like this is. And for lack of a better term, it sucks and it's a bummer. And this is not what we want to be happening right now. But no, it's not Satan. It's a virus. It's not the evil one. It's a virus. It's not the invisible enemy as the president says it's a virus i mean sure i don't want to invite it over to my house for tea and it's a thing that we want to avoid but again i just don't think that we need to make it into more of something that it is and since we're going to be talking to elizabeth geitz in a few minutes about finding spiritual truth in the age of fake news i think we need to get into the fakiest of the fake news the fake fake fakiest (laughs) haven't we already been there already that's true but we just got to dig ourselves a little deeper so put on some boots and get on those rubber gloves because now mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's time to do Christianity's prostate check of the week with the Christian crazy. Claude Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. So today we're going to play just a little game just to test you a little bit to see if you can spot the crazy Christian fake news. All right? All right. All right. I'll give you an easy one. Let's start out here with Jonathan Kahn, who's a prophet, and talking with Jim Baker. Be careful. Be careful. See if you can spot the fake news. Before the coronavirus broke out, did you feel like something was coming? Because yeah. I know you've seen so many things in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first, first, um, I was telling people, well, first of all, well, there's much in the harbinger that has to do with this. We, you know, want to, I want to touch on that. Um, but also, I was telling people before this year began, uh, months before, that I believe this was going to be a year of shaking, uh, an important year, a critical year. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and call that right there because, come on, like, if you're a prophet, get your stuff together. When when God calls on the prophet to speak, what's the well? I'm gonna and last year I don't I don't know, but you know I'm gonna tell yeah 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 <laughs> oh, yeah that okay. Get to the point there. Get the gum out of your mouth, prophet, and just spit it out. What are you trying to say? Oh, God said shaken to me that 2020 was going to be the year of shaken. Maybe God was saying that He wanted you to try shake and bake, right? Because it is. It's the crispy way to make dinner. So shaken, oh, coronavirus, I'm a good prophet. Yeah, I'm going to call that fake news. So here's our next one. Let's try to see, okay? Fake news or not on the Jim Baker Show. The warfare continues. 
with our credit card company, the company that processes credit cards, we were notified that because of the negative news in the public, they have put a hold on all our funds, all our accounts, all our deposits, and within two weeks, we will be totally financially broke. Did we just have a little bit of real news in the Christian crazy? Oh, clutch the pearls. What's going on here? Some of that is true. Some of it's BS. But yes, because of, uh, yeah, Jim Baker peddling. (laughs) Peddling his fake coronavirus cures. The company that handled his credit cards no longer will handle his credit cards. So Jim is asking his people to only send money by check because that's the only way he can steal your money. It's so difficult. It's so difficult to steal people's money when we can't take their credit. We can't take their credit. Okay. So that one, see, see, it was a little bit of real news there. A little bit of, little bit of truth, a little bit of truth. So let's try to see. Maybe we'll find some more here in our next example. Here we go. I really believe that when we look back on this, we're going to see that there was an overreach, that there was an overreaction and that uh, there's, it'll probably, I believe, make us more cautious in the future about doing something like this instead of uh, this becoming a new norm where they just lock this down. That's good. You know, they had, uh, if I'm correct, I think it's already 20 million people in the U.S. died of flu during this season from September up till now. 20 20 million. So close. But no cigar there. No cigar. You were so close. Pastor Andrew Womack, who was sitting here trying to say that this whole Corona thing is a big hoax. It's a big nothing burger. It's nothing. The flu's killed. Like what? 20 million. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, to actually look at the CDC's website in the same period of time, they're only estimating anywhere between 24,000 and about 50,000 deaths. Two million. It's a little bit of an overstretch. Oh, Andrew. <laughs> so close, but like not close at all. Like that's like the wrong game show, Andrew. It's the price is right where you're supposed to go way under the price trying to beat someone out. So yes, sorry, you don't win. You don't get to collect $200 or pass go. You are just full of fake news. Speaking of fake news, let's get to our interview. Uh, with Elizabeth Geitz, talking about her book, Spiritual Truth in the Age of Fake News. You're going to love it. And here we go. Elizabeth Geitz is an Episcopal priest, an award-winning author of seven books, and a nonprofit entrepreneur. Her work focuses on spirituality and issues of justice. And like a lot of us, she's just trying to make a difference in the world. And in her new book, Spiritual Truth in the Age of Fake News, um, She's tackling that. She's tackling fake news. And her book, which we're going to be talking about uh, today, is available already on Amazon. So, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here with you. Elizabeth, how how is quarantine treating you? How are you doing in quarantine right now? (laughs) You know what? I'm hanging in there. You know what I'm doing? Really and truly, I'm reading a page of my book every day. It's 101 Reflections. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's meant for daily reflection, and I'm finding it to be quite helpful. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding things in the reflections that I'd forgotten were there. So that's part of my survival strategy. Yeah, because I was wanting to ask you that because I don't like I don't want to call this a devotional book, 
Because I guess being around Christian stuff enough, devotional stuff makes me feel dirty. If you're like, I don't know if I want a devotional. Um, but this is more about, like you said, reflection, contemplation. How, how would you describe your book to us? I like what you said, because I don't like the word devotional either. It sort of implies something to, that to me sounds sort of syrupy sweet. Um, and this is really meant to challenge people. This is not a feel good, uh, come to Jesus kind of book. This is a, what does Jesus say about this particular issue and, and how might this impact my life? Uh, each reflection ends with a question for the reader to say, you know, is there something that touches you in this? Is there some way that you could reach out and do something related to this? Because uh, it's a book about action mm -hmm. as well as reflection and contemplation. Mm -hmm. And I, I've been enjoying going through this because it is, it's something that you, I feel like you, you, you need to digest um, little bit by little bit over time. And um, I mentioned this earlier, but I didn't, I didn't want to tell you until now that we were, I sat down with my family and I've got teenagers. Um, and mm -hmm. so last night during dinner, I just, I flipped through like the, the table of contents and you have like different topics that are in here, like, <laughs> Here they go. Uh, like uh, uh, feminine imagery, sexism, racism, heterosexism, anti-Semitism, xenophobia, women's uh, leaders, survival. Um, and I just I pushed it to my daughter and I was like, yeah, I was like, you pick one. So we, and we had we read through one of your uh, pieces from heterosexism and had a great uh -huh. conversation because I think no one ever says this. We had a great conversation about Sodom and Gomorrah around the dinner table. Uh, I don't. Th oh, that is fabulous! I love. So I it. don't know that anyone ever says that, but cheers to you for that too. It was. It was. It, I've been really enjoying this, and I feel like you might be the first. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I think that it's especially in this time where we're in quarantine that we're kind of naturally we're naturally separated. We're naturally in spaces where we have time to contemplate and time to be able to reflect. But I don't think people really are right now as much as we want to, um, because I think people are running to their phones, they're running to uh, Netflix, they're running to doing anything to fill their space here. But this is something that like tends to pull you out of this, uh, pull you out of this to really make you think deeper about where we're at in the world today. Now, um, tell me this, like what, what led you to write this book? Like why, why this book? Why now? Well, I worked really, really hard on it last spring and summer to get it to the publisher because I felt, quite frankly, it was important to get it out before the election in November. Mm -hmm. um, I feel that the religious right has been given the microphone to speak for all Christians, and uh, I find that deeply, deeply troubling. Mm -hmm. um, as somebody who has a seminary degree and who has studied scripture, and prayed about it for quite a long time, I realized that what I'm seeing the media portray as Christian people is the opposite of what I would call Christianity. And um, it, quite frankly, I feel like um, we're all being, you know, colored with that same brushstroke yeah. and that needs to change and it needs to change now. Yeah. It needs to change now. And if it can inform anybody's opinion, it is not, it is intentionally not a political book, but if a, uh, a, a correct understanding of what the scripture says and does not say can inform somebody's political opinion, then great. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really what 
I'm hoping, and that's why I wrote it at this particular time. Because it feels like as you're going through these, you're, you're going through and doing really a deeper reading of Scripture. Um, you're doing a deeper reading of Scripture other than the ones that we've been given that have been glossed over, um, or Scripture that's been used or weaponized that really had no right to be weaponized um, over time. And, and I love how you're doing this because I think, like what you're mentioning here, it's, it's hopefully giving people a new way to look at Scripture. Um, it's it's giving a new way for us to be able to 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 hold it and um, to experience it in a way that I think is going to surprise some people. Ah, well, I hope so, um, because it, what I found in my research for this, and it's very heavily researched, because I have found that when you're going to come out with something that's almost the, the polar opposite of of what the norm believes, you've got to really be able to back it mm -hmm. up. And um, so it's very heavily footnoted so that if anybody wants to go and look at the statistics that I'm quoting, they can do so if they want to. Um, it, it makes it more um, less able to have somebody just shoot down, you know, what's, what's in the book. But for instance, I was surprised, I don't know why, but the number one best-selling book of the year every single year is the Bible. It doesn't show up on the New York Times bestseller lists, but it is. And not surprisingly, the number one best-selling translation by far is the King James Version. <laughs> well, the King James Version was translated uh, over 300 years ago. Mm -hmm. Over 800 biblical manuscripts have been discovered since mm -hmm. then in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So that translation is just not accurate. Mm -hmm. It just isn't. And so you've got to have, uh, of course, the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek. And you've got to have a, an up-to-date translation in order to get some of these things that, that are in my book. And I think that's very, very important. It cannot be stated strongly enough. I think, and I think that's one thing that, that tends to bother me a lot about the institutional churches. I, I don't think that they are, that they are pushing out um, educated disciples or educated readers. Um, they just push, push out followers that essentially just take whatever the pastor is saying and say, that must be true without actually doing the work on their own, without, without actually reading the context, even behind the scripture that are being used, uh, regardless of even saying like what translation, because you're right, it is ridiculous that there are so many different churches that are KJV only, um, which I'm always just like, oh, okay, it's one of those. Uh, and that- Because we know Jesus spoke that oh, language, Absolutely, it was, it was from the mouth of God. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, um, now, Elizabeth, uh, you are a person that, that really just has like a deep heart for for justice um yes and and how 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 does your spirituality um you know how does your spirituality and your heart for activism how do those blend together how do those two dance oh well they're they they're very interconnected um the reason that i first became involved in social justice issues was because somewhere along the line, I was sitting in a pew and you know I, I heard that message of Jesus over and over and over in the gospel of Luke, go and do likewise, go and do likewise. And uh, somehow it sunk in. Um, until that time, actually I moved from uh, Tennessee to Princeton, New Jersey. Big mm -hmm. difference. I mean, I you know, grew up in the Bible Belt, Southern Baptist grandparents, and then suddenly I'm in this liberal academic environment and I didn't know what to make of the whole thing. And, uh, but suddenly religion became for me something other than a set of rules of things you did not do. 
when I grew up in the Bible Belt, I never, I was religious, yeah. but I was not spiritual at all. I went to church on Sunday because that's what my family did. But religion was, you better not break the Ten Commandments or you're going to hell and that's mm -hmm. it. Well, I suddenly was in this environment where religion was serving your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Religion was reaching out to the poor. Yeah. Religion was seeing the eyes of God in the eyes of the poor. Mm -hmm. And it turned my life upside down. Mm -hmm. Changed me forever. And I ended up initially working in inner city Trenton, New Jersey. And uh, that work led me to seminary. And now I've uh, founded a foundation and I built a school in mm -hmm. Africa. So, you know, things build on each other, but it's all spiritual based because I, it's it, because it's the spiritual underpinnings of it that sustain me in the work. Mm -hmm. Without that, I would burn mm -hmm. out. I don't think I'd be able to do it because it's not easy. It's not easy work. And uh, so when any of us, whether it's climate change mm -hmm. or whatever it is that we're advocating, if we're doing it for spiritual reasons, then it can feed us at the same time that we're doing all this giving out. Mm -hmm. No, it sense? does. It absolutely makes sense. And, and like that, that's one thing that I've always, I felt like I've, I get, especially around evangelicals, I, I've, I've always pushed back with this idea is that, um, and they don't like it when I say this to them and they'll try to argue with me about this, but I, I don't, I've, I, I've come to the understanding that there's no way to understand the gospel by simply reading it. You know, I've, I feel like no. you have to, you have to, like you had mentioned, go and do. Um, and I feel like that's when you begin to actually understand it. it. You know, it's not something that you can just philosophize about or memorize or kind of get like, Oh, I've, I've, I have ascertained all of this knowledge and I understand it now. And that's great. But when you go and do, you start to realize, oh, everything I understood, yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> it, right. This is very different. And yeah. so, exactly, yeah. I'll, exactly. And, and if you go and do, then what, what undergirds that is coming back, mm. for me anyway, coming back to the Christian community and reflecting on what I've done mm. and what I've seen and looking at, oh, where was God in that? Mm. What, what, where have I learned about God from that? interaction that I had with that person. So I think that the um, intentional spiritual reflection on the work that you're doing is what makes it, sets it apart from doing, you know, working for a nonprofit, mm -hmm. for example. And, it, and, it, and it's very different. It's very different. Like when you're speaking of like walking into these situations where you walk in with an open hand, um, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing where God's going to show up, not assuming that you're the, uh, well, that you are like the white savior walking into a situation that needs oh. another white savior. Says, you know, no one needs that. Um, but yeah, but it, but it does. It, it, it really changes you. And, and that's, that's, in my experience, has been where the gospel has changed me the most is in the places I don't expect it. Um, oh, right, right. And, and, and going in with the understanding that I am there to be changed. Mm -hmm. I am there to learn from the people that are very different than I am, whether it's from culture or race or whatever it is. If, if there's somebody in a very different situation uh, than, than me, I'm not there as any sort of savior. Uh, forget it. They don't need that. They don't want it and that's not, that's not helpful. So if I'm there to be changed and to learn, uh, that's been a lot of deep work that I've done with my nonprofit board is to say, no, we're not going to tell them what, quote, tell them what to do because we know better, unquote. 
uh, no, then we're just the ugly American, yeah. as, as it's called. And uh, that's not what any of us want to mm-hmm. be. And it feels like it feels like today, especially that that when you were mentioning about how uh, you wrote this book in the hopes of being able to kind of repaint faith, um, where we're standing out today, where the church is assumed to be this, it's assumed to be this thing from the right. And one of my, th- I feel like one of the biggest sins right now of the American church is that it's it doesn't know how to listen. Um, it doesn't know how to listen to its communities. It doesn't know how to listen to those around us. And just like you were mentioning before, it it the church feels like it has all the answers. Uh, we know what to do. Uh, those answers are more philosophical than anything. Um, you know what I mean? Like, you know, yes, right. Jesus will save you from hell. Great. I'm hungry today because I'm, I'm living on the streets. How will that <laughs> nourish me? It won't? Okay, right. but, you know, at least when you die. No, and, and, and it becomes, it, we, we fall in this place where, like, yeah, where faith becomes a huge disconnect from reality. And, and what I've loved about what you've done here through, through these reflections, I feel like it connects faith back into reality. Um, because it, it feels like in many ways that I've always felt like, like the, the work of God is kind of getting your, your, the dirt under your, beneath your fingernails. You know, it's the kind of work that's, that's messy. It's not what you expect. But in the end, it's something that is, that is so much more beautiful than you could have imagined before you step into it. Exactly, exactly. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do in spiritual truth in the age of fake news is to, in some ways, say, you know, our faith is very relevant to all aspects of life today. And um, the reality that scripture has been weaponized and used against women, that's what I talk about in the chapter on sexism, it's been used against women and blacks and people of color, Jews gays, you name it, you know, and, 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 and in the final analysis, if there's some tenet that we're being told to believe that says one group of people is better than another group, mm-hmm. that's really against scripture. That is what I call fake news in the Bible. What I call fake news is the way scripture has been weaponized and used against people. Yes. That is the fake news that I'm writing about and saying, no, we've got to, we've got to talk about the true news. Mm-hmm. And what, 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 you know, what did Jesus say, for instance, about homosexuality? No. Nothing. <laughs> Not one mm-hmm. word. So for that reflection, I've got a quote and a lot of blank lines and a quote and, and you know, said Jesus. And, you know, I said, yeah, that's not a misprint. Mm-hmm. Jesus said nothing about it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then in that chapter, as you said, I talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and everything. Just take it apart. Let's look at what did it really say mm-hmm. and what wasn't it saying. And um, the same is true on the creation accounts with regard to woman as created second and sinned mm-hmm. first. Let's look at that yeah. because it has led to, for instance, the Me Too movement. Um, uh, you had a, a segment on um, domestic violence against women right now in their homes and the quarantine situation. All of that is predicated on the belief that woman is less than. Mm -hmm. And it really started with this fake news, in my opinion, what I call it that, this fake news of the Bible being misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Now, in your book, see, what I want to do, are you willing to do this? Um, I think we should read through one of these passages. Now, in your book, you tell us, uh, I'll say, so, so listeners out there right now, So uh, as part of her reader's guide, she would tell you to sit in a special chair or spot. So get comfortable. And uh, luckily, today we have Elizabeth. Elizabeth is going to read a passage of scripture. um, 
and uh, then she's going to read her take on it. Now, um, so this is a time for you to kind of be quiet and to kind of listen to what these words are speaking to you. And as this, I think Elizabeth, you're going to be reading about survival, which is a very <laughs> applicable topic to where we are at today, <laughs> as we are all at home. Um, so right. Yeah. Right. when I wrote this, uh, coronavirus was not uh, in our vocabulary, but yes, this is the chapter that um, hopefully would be very helpful for a lot of different reasons. Yes. Yeah, so, so yes, Elizabeth, take us away, like take us through this on survival. All right. Thank you. I'm going to read the one from uh, the book of Judges. And I will start uh, with the scripture passes, Judges 13, 6 and 9. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like that of an angel of God, most awe-inspiring. The angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. End of the reading. How best to keep our heads above water when we feel inundated with the fake news that surrounds us? How to survive? Well, we could become hermits, shutting ourselves off from all media, all contact with the outside world. We could listen to nothing but spa, spa music all day. We could refuse to interact on any level with anyone who disagrees with us on the topic du jour. But such extreme measures are not the answer for most of us. The truth is, the Bible, the very book that has been twisted and used against women, blacks, gays, Jews, and those from other countries, contains some of the most comforting words ever written. Let's look at one of those passages. When an angel appears to Manoah's wife, she's in a field by herself, away from her everyday existence. The angel does not come to her during her many daily chores, but Instead, when she takes time to be apart, away from life's distractions. Sitting in the field alone, she hears the message that she will conceive and bear a son, a long-awaited dream. Perhaps her field was what some people today describe as a thin place, where only tissue paper separates the material from the spiritual. On a recent pilgrimage to one of the thin places, the Isle of Iona in Scotland, I was unexpectedly overwhelmed by a strong sense of the divine spirit's presence. Sitting on a hard chair in the cold abbey of Iona, I suddenly felt a presence so powerful I had an urge to flee. Instead, I willed myself to stay and listen, listen with the ear of the heart. In the stillness and solitude, the spirit's message for me was clear. Feeling my body, filling my body and soul with a sense of peace and unity with all creation, filling me with spiritual truth and fulfillment so longed for. When the prevalence of misleading, contradictory news reports gets you down, what if you took some time away from the 24 hour news cycle, away from the distractions of our noisy world? The good news is that. We don't have to be in a thin place to communicate with the divine spirit. We can be on a retreat in our backyard, even in our own homes. What might happen if you turned off all electronics, went to a quiet spot and put yourself in the spirit's presence? What do you need right now 
to fill your soul with the gift of the spirit of truth that is yours. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. And that and that and that, dear listeners, is kind of a snippet of what you get um, in, in here in this book with Elizabeth's 101 reflections um, and spiritual truth in the age of fake news. Now, now, Elizabeth, for a lot of us that are listening too, we are we are at home. <laughs> we have stay-at-home orders. Yes, we all are. And um <laughs> and a lot of the news we're getting right now um isn't always the best news, even if it's truth. So mm-hmm. for you in your space, what what is giving you hope in the world today? Oh. Well, the only thing that works for me is for me personally is when I do some centering prayer. And after I read one of these reflections, I then go into that and I just try to put myself in God's presence and I listen. I don't talk. You know, there's a belief that prayer is talking to God or telling Jesus or the divine spirit or the divine feminine, whatever word we used to call, um, is just to listen and, and hear what God has to say. And I don't hear a message of doom and gloom from God. Um, and who knows if it's God I'm hearing, you know, I'm, and I'm not a prophet. I can't say that for sure. But um, my hope comes in God, comes from God and from Jesus. It comes from my faith. And uh, without that, I don't know where I'd be, just in general. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much uh, for your time today on the show. Now, if people want to, if people want to find the book, where can they go? Spiritual Truth in the Age okay. of Fake News by Elizabeth Geitz, G-E-I-T-Z. I know is on Amazon. Where else? It's on Amazon, and it's on the publisher's website at Wiffenstock, W-I-P-F and Stock.com. Either of those two places, and probably Barnes & Noble, I would think by now. Um, so yeah, go, go check it out. I've got lots. I've got 52 reviews on Amazon, so you can read those too and see what some of your peers think about it. And, and now, if people want to find more out about you, about other your works, uh, all, all that you're doing, or social media-wise, uh, what's the best place to find you? Uh, the best place is elizabethgeitz.com. I've got on my website. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Elizabeth Geitz, and Twitter, at Elizabeth Geitz. So it's pretty easy. Um, friend me, send me a friend message and, um, I'll friend you back and also come. I also write uh, regular blogs, uh, and I'd love you to visit my website. I've got an archive on there going back eight years or so mm-hmm. of all sorts of topics, gun control, you name it. I don't shy away from it. So, uh, contact, come visit me. Well, wonderful, wonderful. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the show today. And the book is Spiritual Truth and the Age of Fake News by Elizabeth Geist. So Elizabeth, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. So yes, much thanks and praise for Elizabeth Geist. I really appreciated her, her book and her time today. So here's how we're going to end the show. Usually we try to end on some sort of like spiritual, like soliloquy or some sort of a way to be able to send you off and bless you and also bless you. Don't worry. But I'm going to do something we've been trying to do around my house is doing more storytelling, a really reading of stories. And this is a story that I'd had back from my days when I used to do like wilderness ministry. um, uh, Yeah, in the Pacific Northwest. 
And a good friend of mine, John, um, would read this story. And it was one of like the joys of my life was to, to, to work with John and to have him like with a bunch of like youth around a campfire reading the story. Because John, the joy of it was that John could never get through the story without cracking himself up. So I love the story, mainly just because every time I read it or hear it or tell someone, it, it's just silly. It reminds me of John. But I'm going to read you a story about baked beans. And these are kind of those stories that get passed down from family members and are told around campfires because, hey, we're all at home, so let's just do something a little different here in the remainder of our show. So here's a story about baked beans. Once upon a time, there lived a man who had a terrible passion for baked beans. He loved them. But they always had an embarrassing and somewhat lively reaction on him. One day, he met a girl and fell in love. And when it became apparent that they would marry, he thought to himself, she'll never go with the marriage, with me carrying on like this. So he made the supreme sacrifice and gave up beans. Shortly after they were married, and a few months later, on his birthday and on his way home from work, his car broke down. As they lived in the country, he called his wife and told her that he would be late because he had to walk home. On his way home, he passed a small cafe, and the wonderful aroma of baked beans overwhelmed him. Since he still had several miles to walk, he figured he could walk off any ill effects before he got home, and after all, it was his birthday. So he went in and ordered, and before leaving, he had three extra helpings of baked beans. All the way home, he putt-putted, and by the time he arrived home, he felt reasonably safe. His wife met him at the door and seemed somewhat excited. She exclaimed, darling, I have the most wonderful surprise for you for dinner tonight. She put a blindfold on him, led him to his chair at the head of the table, and made him promise not to speak. At this point, he was beginning to feel another one coming on. And just as his wife was about to remove the blindfold, the telephone rang. She, again, made him promise not to peek until she returned. And away she went to answer the phone. While she was gone, he seized the opportunity. He shifted his weight on one leg and let it go. It was not only loud, it was as ripe as a rotten egg. And he had a hard time breathing. And just as he started to feel better, another urge came on. He raised his leg. It sounded like a diesel engine revving and smelled worse. To keep from gagging, he tried fanning his arms a while, hoping the smell would dissipate. He got another urge. This was a real blue ribbon renter. The window shook. The dishes on the table rattled. And a minute later, the flowers on the table were dead. With his blindfold still on, and when he heard the phone farewells, he neatly laid his lap, napkin in his lap and folded his hands on the top of it. Smiling contently, he was a picture of innocence when his wife walked in. Apologizing for taking so long, she asked if he had peeked at the dinner table. And after assuringly uh, that he had not peeked, she removed his blindfold and yelled, Surprise! And to his shock and horror, there were 12 dinner guests seated around the table for his surprise birthday party. 
And there you have it. <laughs> the essence of my sense of humor, my juvenile middle school sense of humor. Uh, but I hope even in the funny little silly stories can bring a smile to people's faces, even in these troubled times. Um, so keep up the good fight. Keep, keep, keep doing the good work to your neighbors and those around you. Keep social distancing because we will get through this together. And I send you out in this week with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. Go and make the world a better place. I'm out of here. Catch you guys again next week. Peace. <laughs>